Brilliant. First, I'd like to thank Tim McAlpine for letting me use his space. Uh, he's incredibly supportive. Um, but to get started, Sharon, I've been very eager to connect with you. I visited a few Kakuli cafes. I'm a huge fan. You are a person who took your dream. You made it a reality. Uh, I can't imagine that's easy. Would you mind introducing yourself um, and talking a little bit about the business that you started? Sure. Um, well, thank you, Aaron, for having me. And my name is Sharon Bond. I'm from the Nawai Indian Band. It's just outside of Merritt, BC. We're a small band of about 260 members. Uh, it's between Spencesbridge and Merritt. It's one of the remote communities out that way that was actually affected by all the floods as well and fires in the last few years. Um, and I own Kakuli Cafe West Kelowna. And I also am the CEO and founder of Kukuli Cafe and Kukuli Cafe Properties, where we are now franchising. Incredible. You wanted to do this for a long time. That's my understanding. This was something you wanted to do. You wanted to bring food to the community. You wanted to share Indigenous cuisine. Can you tell us a little bit about how this all got started for you? Yeah, wow. Well, 2004, I was making bannock for my students in the school district. So we would have bannock and tea. I'd get the parents into the school district. It was just a great way to um, to get parents together and see what their kids are doing. It's something I never got to experience as a young child growing up, I guess. How do you get your parents to come to the school to see what your kids are doing? So I would do bannock and tea for the parents and for the students. And food always brings people together. So after, you know, every end of June, you get laid off from the school. And so then I decided, hey you know, let's do Bannock at a local event on, on West Side Days. So we we made Bannock. My friend said, hey, we have a concession stand. You can use that for a few years um, at, his local, at the local car wash here at West Bank First Nation. And we started making Bannock out of the car wash. And we did that for about three years. And we did a, a business plan as well. So it took a few years to do the business plan. And we opened our doors with our first restaurant in uh, 2009. Wow. And, yeah, and it was uh, quite the process. But, you know, we, we worked, we had full-time jobs, working at the car wash, selling Bannock, marketing Bannock, doing the business plan. And then he went to work at um, a local uh, corporate store whatever, Tim Hortons. <laughs> I went to go work at another store, Starbucks, and we all still work full-time jobs. So we did all this because we wanted to get out of debt. We wanted to get some experience in the coffee shop world and, you know, of course, survive. So that's kind of how we we uh, came to opening Kakuli. We had some of the experience and just perseverance of um, pushing through those first few years of getting our store open. It's funny that you say Tim Hortons because I see the, the potential with the business. I can see what it's delivering for people in a time where we're talking about reconciliation, in a time where people are interested in learning about Indigenous culture. It seems like there's a gap between the opportunities for people to experience the food and the culture and the language and the the actual opportunity to go into a business and experience it. You hear the question a lot, like, how do I get involved in reconciliation? My dream would be that that question doesn't need to be asked. And it's because businesses like yours fix the issue because you give people the opportunity to try things. How did Bannock become something that you were passionate about sharing? Because it is such a, a hallmark within Indigenous communities, yet outside of Indigenous communities, it's incredibly difficult to get your hands on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I just felt that, uh, you know, in every culture, there's a bread in every culture they all have their different types of breads, fried bread, baked and, and, you know, just, it goes back hundreds of years and, and with, you know, coming up with Bannock for just because it was my passion to make it for my students. And, you know, I grew up on, on homemade breads and stuff like that. My mother, I was, you know, I'd help her make bread and in the house and, you know, so it just has this really nice home style feeling to it. And, and when I cook or, you know, even my menu at the cafe, it's just a lot of fun, fast, casual style foods, um, you know, that people love to eat. And uh, the Pili Cafe, you know, we, we've we just created a, a menu where, you know, it's, it gives you some Indigenous history. It gives you that, um, you know, there's a lot of fun things that we've done over the years and, and to come to this part of you know, where we're at today with the, you know, Indian tacos that are uh, made with bannock or fry bread or, you know, I put a twist on all my food because it has to be a little different than what everyone else is doing out there. And there's Indigenous restaurants, you know, they're popping up, up all across Canada now. It's something I could never find 20, 20 years ago when I was doing my business plan. Um, there was a couple smaller ones and I also give credit to Dolly Watts for opening those doors back in the day. She, she opened up Lilligat Feast House on Davie Street in Vancouver. And I got to meet her once um, at the Indigenous uh, Awards in Vancouver at one point. And so it was, it was an honor. And uh, now to see, you know, Indigenous foods are just are popping up across Canada and we're able to give that, you know, because every culture is so different and we all have our own foods from where we're from wherever we're living. Right. You know, in my territory, you know, it's a lot of Saskatoon berries and venison and salmon and, you know, the prairies have Buffalo and, you know, um, the West coast has salmon and seafood. And so everyone's so different all across Canada and we're able to bring our culture, you know, to, you know, to the people and, and they could come in and enjoy, um, whether it be a piece of bannock, um, a venison, you know, taco or something or a wild salmon taco. It's just always nice to see people want to come in and try something different. And with us, we've kind of made this, you know, we're trying, we're working hard at being the place to come to rather than, you know, going to big corporate places you know we want to be that uh hey i'm going for my spirit bear coffee at kakuli because it's organic it's fresh it's you know it's locally indigenous owned and and the coffee spirit bear coffee company is also indigenously is indigenous owned as well so to support them too it's it's um really nice to have that um, partnership right brilliant so, can you tell us about some of the foods, some of the ones maybe that stand out to you? You have a wide variety of different foods. And as you said, you put a twist on it. Can you share that with listeners? Uh, perhaps they're driving through over the summer or the winter. What can they expect to find it? And what are the the hallmarks for you that you're really proud of? Or maybe that took a lot of work for you to kind of, kind of come up with? Yeah, our I guess our favorite um, dish is the Indian taco. So it's just something no other restaurant sells. You can't get it at McDonald's. <laughs> so it's kind of neat that, hey, I want something different today, right? You know, um, all of our food is fresh, hand cut, and everything's done at the cafe. 
so having something like that, like venison, which is deer, um, yeah, it just it just really has a different twist to you know what everyone else does, and it's just something different. We do salmon, uh, wild sockeye salmon for our tacos. We do beef and chicken, or and all of our sauces and vinaigrettes. Like I do a Saskatoon berry vinaigrette. I do Saskatoon berry barbecue sauce. So we have these different things that we can put on our foods that just kind of give it something a little, a little different, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've talked a little bit about the grind, the amount of work that it took, uh, starting kind of doing it outside what sounds like, uh, like a car wash and building up and growing. It seems like that can be a struggle for some people. The idea of that it's not going to happen overnight, that it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of growth, a lot of investment in yourself and in trying new recipes, changing, modifying, developing a business plan. It's a journey. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that that journey was like for you and what you got out of it? Yeah, the whole um, starting up a business is not as easy as I thought it was going to be because I've always been an entrepreneur since I was a very young girl. I was always trying to think of ways to, you know, make money and, you know, how could I, you know, make a living? And so when I started our cafe, you know, the very, the first three to five years, like if you're not working in your business, then you aren't going to make it. You're going to fail within the three first three years for sure. And Darren and I, we just worked in our business, you know, 16 hour days, lived it, breathed it, ate it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, we just worked in our business. We, and working in your business, you also learn, you know, you learn systems and you learn procedures and you just, you know, there's a lot of things that you will learn that will help you grow your business and to become stronger. Um, and another big part of it was human resources, right? You know, you really need to um, care about your employees. You need to take care of them. And back in the day when we started, it was eight, nine, ten bucks an hour. I think back in 2009, when people were getting jobs in restaurants and cafes, right? It was, you know, it was lower wages back then. And now it's double, double that today. The wages are double, almost more than double. And so you need to take care of your staff. You need to treat them with respect. And, you know, we carry the seven teachings in our restaurant, you know, for um, everything that we do, like the seven grandfather teachings with respect and, you know, humility and um, bravery. We, we've been through it all and we decided to use those values in our restaurant because, you know, just we want it to be the place to, you know, where you feel valued and you feel respected when you come in. And even right from our customers to our staff, it's just really important to treat people with respect and, you know, and staying humble and everything at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Why? Yeah. Why work so hard in a business? It can be hard for people to go from the nine to five mindset to building something where the hours aren't followed, that you're thinking about it as you go to bed and you wake up and you're thinking of it. Why? What What did you see in this business? What did you see that you were delivering that people needed, that you were bringing value to the community, uh, to your customers, to your employees? What What was your why? 
there's been a lot of whys over the years. <laughs> and I feel that um, now, you know, the why is I get up every day. It, there's a job there for someone every day. And, you know, we hire a lot of youth in our, in our companies, you know, and even my franchisee was a youth. He was 18 when he started with us. And now he owns two restaurants, Kukuli Cafes. And I think it's just having something that someone is passionate about where they are able to now take Kukuli and create that, have that passion and create something for their people, their community. And it's kind of like a, I guess, a domino effect. You know, I loved it so much that I, and I was able to hire, you know, um, indigenous youth, um, anybody who wants to work, right. Like we, we just needed to have a place where people could call home kind of thing. Right. You could go, people walk in right away and they're like, Oh my God, this is so cool. We have indigenous art. We have drums. We have a picture of a pit house. So people know what a kukuli is. Um, having, you know, people who are inspirational, um, that, that, um, take their, take their passion and, and it just glows. People love our, love our staff. They say we have great staff who are kind and, you know, we can't, we can't train personalities, but when you're hiring people who have passion and kindness and, and humility, you know, that goes a long way, um, for your restaurant or for your business for that matter, you know, like it's just, you just need to have that passion and, and be real, um, and humble. <laughs> yeah. There's something unique about Indigenous entrepreneurship, and I'm interested in your thoughts on that. When I think about the ideas that maybe um, are percolated in our society, there there's perhaps a group of people who've participated less over the last hundred years. And the argument is that we're missing out on the art, the culture, the language, the cuisine, the community that they can provide for other people. And right now, as we talk about reconciliation, that seems to be really at the forefront of people's mind is what is the art? What is the language? What is the culture? What am I missing out on? And it seems like something that you're now able to export is a bit of that culture. And so I'm just curious as to what you think it means to be an indigenous entrepreneur. Do you think that you come with a different skill set? Do you think that when you face a barrier, you're more apt to want to go over it? What do you think some of the differences are in in terms of uh, being an entrepreneur for yourself? Um, I I would have looked more at barriers 20 years ago. Um, I felt that, you know, who's going to... Uh, want to come to an indigenous restaurant for that matter, right? I would think who's who knows what Bannock is. Um, I just felt that there 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 was more barriers twenty years ago, and me, I just I guess I felt like I just would push my way through all of that. Um, there's always comments, you know, oh, an, an indigenous or well, we didn't use the word indigenous. We use first nation or Indian. Right. And, you know, um, they would always think it was, it wasn't owned by an indigenous person. It would, it might've been a band owned business or, you know, um, so to really try to get it out there that it was an, 
a business owned by an indigenous woman for that matter. Um, you know, and I, I guess I never really thought too much about it, but I, I just would be, I would persevere and, you know, pushing that it was a first nations owned business and it was, um, First Nations food. I I have First Nations language throughout our cafe and and right down to our marketing on our bannock boxes and and all that kind of thing. Right. So we just needed to, I guess, kind of we have to work really hard to kind of get to where we're at today with being um, an Indigenous business and having an Indigenous woman CEO and founder of this type of business. Um, it was a lot of work, I guess, to get to the top because, you know, even trying to get a credit card or a loan or something back, you know, 15 years ago, even it was hard for me to get all that. Like we had to do everything like the the hard way. I had to work three jobs. We had to save money. We had to pay off debt, you know, that kind of thing over the years. Um, so to to get through all those systemic barriers um, especially being a woman in business and nobody trusts indigenous an indigenous woman in business because they don't think we know what we're doing. Um, you know, I just just plowed over that and just said, nope, not giving up, I'll figure it out. And I did that even day to day operations, running a cafe and working in my business when I was working in the restaurant and you know, I had to make sure that every little thing was perfect. And I didn't want if something happened and, and nobody liked the bannock or it was doughy or something happened, I'm going to fix it. You know, I, I had to be the one to fix it because yeah. I didn't want to lose customers, obviously. So I had to really figure out ways to to, uh, you know, keep that customer and keep them happy and keep them coming back. And. I would, you know, we would have to train our staff and, and this is kind of where all the systems would start coming up. And we, you know, the first week we opened our doors, people thought we were a franchise. Oh, you guys must be from, you know, Eastern Canada. And we're like, oh no, I'm, I live here in West Bank. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we already had this look of a franchise and, you know, so from that week as well, I thought, oh, one day we're going to open up another one. And, it really made you work hard at trying to figure out all the systems. Cause we didn't have someone to really call and to see, are we doing this? Okay. Is this okay? There's not another indigenous restaurant out there that we were able to look at and, and, you know, analyze and see, you know, what are they doing? So there wasn't much there to choose from. So we just kind of worked away at doing our own thing. And I, I guess by 2014, we opened up another restaurant in Merritt, BC, downtown. And that, you know, was the start. We thought we're going to treat this just like a franchise, whatever that may be. We didn't even know exactly what a franchise. We knew that it was going to be two restaurants that kind of worked the same. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, did we did our research. We opened up a Merritt, the Merritt store. And we just tried to run everything the same, but we were running them both. And so we were doing a lot of driving back and forth between West Bank and Merritt. And wow, it was a lot of work. I'll, I'll never forget. <laughs> and just trying to figure everything out. Like, how do we make two restaurants run the same? I guess, you know, I could have hopefully called up CEO of McDonald's. Hey, we need some help, you know, 
<laughs> how do you do this? Yeah. But no, we figured it all out ourselves. We had to figure it out the hard way. And we opened up, we, we, we actually opened up 2014. Then I sold the merit store in 2018 to Elijah yeah. who now owns it. And then a few years later, we said, Hey, let's open up another one in Kamloops. Another opportunity came along. So we opened up our third location in Kamloops and yeah, that one took, um, Elijah bought that one as well. Another, you know, he's a youth and to have two restaurants by the age of 25 or six years old, he's, uh, he's really doing amazing. And we're just happy that, you know, we found a person who has that passion and, you know, we're always collaborating together and working together. Um, and then we opened up a fourth location at the Okanagan college here in uh, Kelowna and uh, yeah, now we're just starting, you know, to, we're getting tons of inquiries for more coolies. So we'll see where that goes. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Ever a point in time where you didn't know if you were going to be able to persevere ever a time where you were maybe had some doubts or was like, this is, this is a lot. This is, this can't be fair. This isn't, this isn't okay. I, I want a break. I want, I want to be able to breathe. Did you ever have to go over anything? Um, I think the first three, three to five years in business, you know, it was kind of like that because we were the ones that had to do everything right. You know, I'm, I'm the ones washing the floors at eight, nine o'clock at night in the, in the restaurant. You know, I look back and I think, Hey, maybe that was a Carol Burnett moment. I don't know, but <laughs> you're in there mopping the floors and then you're crying. Oh my God, I don't want to do this. I can't, this is so hard. And then someone, I don't know, we, we kind of figured out, hey, why aren't we hiring more people to do this? <laughs> Let's hire more people, right? So, because um, I think we only had four to six employees or something in our very, very early stages. And and we thought we had to do everything. I never thought of getting other people to do it for me. <laughs> it took a, a year or something like that to do that. So probably a key to your success though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big part of, you know, letting go of some things. Right. And here we are today, you know, uh, just we're working on our business now and we're, we're working on, you know, expanding, we're working on the franchise systems. We're, um, you know, we're, we're kind of out of the cafe part where I don't have to go in and make bannock anymore because I've got this amazing, I always call them the Kakuli crew, kind of like the Motley crew, but they're the Kakuli crew. <laughs> and um, they have really, we've really taught them to, um, you know, follow our, our systems and they have the heart and the soul and they have the passion for Kakuli. So they've just been able to, you know, run, run the restaurant like I would um, with me not being there as much anymore. Cause I have a lot on my plate right now with the growing franchise and going to school and, and, you know, just working on things that just keep me very busy. <laughs> You mentioned the branding. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where does Kakuli Cafe come from? Can you tell us a bit about your slogan, how you're tying in the culture? Because I think you do a very good job of making 
the language more accessible. I think that's the challenge we get into when things are renamed a completely Helklamalem language or a Helklamalem language. The challenge is that it's a completely different language for some people. And then there's a lack of desire to want to switch over to that, where your process seems very, it's accessible. It's a, it's a step one. It's not the whole enchilada all at once. And I think that that's valuable when we're, we're, when we're having the reconciliation conversation, when we're saying, we want you to learn, we want you to be open-minded. It makes it accessible. I think the idea that you uh, deliver on apps like DoorDash and Skip the Dishes, it makes it less intimidating. Some people prefer to order on those apps. This makes it easier for them to say, hey, you know what? I'll give this a try. I'll learn a little bit something new, um, but I'm still at home. I'm still safe. Some people are intimidated by change. And I think that you do an excellent job of making the culture accessible to people. So can you tell us a little bit about the brand, the decision to make it accessible on apps like DoorDash and Skip the Dishes? Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, people, you know, like, I'm trying to think, like, um, I've been to Vancouver, and you go to restaurants in Vancouver, and, you know, you get different languages, and you're looking at the menu, and you're like, you know, you're not quite sure. People ask, oh, well, what is this? Um, So I think just ensuring that everybody feels comfortable with a different language is important. Um, And us using, you know, some of our language from my territory, you know, we acknowledge the West Bank or the Okanagan territory on our front door. We acknowledge it in merit on the front door, you know, the the Thompson language from that area. And I think it's just a, it was a touch on how, to let people know that they're um, in an Indigenous territory, that they're on either First Nations land or in a, or in the territory, you know. Our restaurant in Merritt is not on Native land, but, you know, we're on a spot where, you know, hundreds of years ago, our First Nations people um, set up camp in that area, you know, until they got cleared out of the downtown Merritt and put to the outskirts, I guess, if that's the outskirts, Um you know, so to have that uh, claim, I guess, you know, to have our language out there, I think is really important. Um, and to in- put it into our business, it just gives it that, uh, you know, I just like people to know that, hey, this is a First Nations restaurant. And this is really cool. You know, we get people from all over the world that come um, to Kakuli. We've been lucky enough to be on like you got to eat here, which is filmed or which is shown in like seven or eight different countries, I guess, around, around um, the world. And, you know, people will come and say, Oh, I saw you on this. You got to eat here. So, you know, they're excited and and they want to try something different, right. You know, when they come to Canada, then they set foot here knowing that they're, you know, and they know, and they're respecting that they are on First Nations territory as soon as they come into Vancouver, or when they get off the, you know, the plane in, in here in the Okanagan, right there, that they're on Indigenous land. So it's, it's, it's really nice that there's that respect when um, people are coming from around the world, and they're wanting to, you know, see Indigenous, feel Indigenous and taste Indigenous food. Yeah. So. Don't panic, we have Bannock. Probably one of the best slogans I've ever heard. Who yeah. came out, who who has to take responsibility for this? Um, well, it, we started out at the car wash back in the day, 
And we used to have, you know, people would come up and we used to have this customer, oh, I'm in a panic for panic. And, you know, so it kind of all rhymed and it all kind of came out to don't panic, we have panic. And yeah, I trademarked it, trademarked our whole Kakuli, trademarked the slogan. And we just did all that uh, legal stuff so that we had, um, I guess, control of it, I guess, or whatever for, for marketing and, and for the business. And yeah, it's just, just took right off. I'm glad that it was just, just one of those slogans that, that, um, that, yeah, that people could catch on right away. Cause every time I hear even in a movie or a show or anything, and I'm like, and you'll hear don't panic. And I'm thinking, eat panic. <laughs> something, That's right? awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I hear don't panic, I'm waiting. I think I'm say we have panic. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you've mentioned Elijah a few times. It's a lot of work to start a business, which you did. It's a lot of work to start a second business, which you did. Yeah. The fear is always that it's just yours. And you've found somebody who shares that same spark, that same passion, that same work mentality of putting in a lot of hours, a lot of effort to bring something to others. What did that mean to you to perhaps meet a kindred spirit? Wow. Yeah. Just, um, wow. How does that even happen? You know, I think it's, uh, must be like fate, I guess. Right. Like there is something there that, you know, to have someone that wants to take on Kakuli. Um, even right now I have another youth um, I'm working on <laughs> and he works at our restaurant here in West Bank. He's been with us since he was 15 and now he oh. just turned 20. And this boy has just, he's reminding me of Elijah so much. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, this, this is the next Kakuli. I'm sure he's going to have the next Kakuli is my goal. Um, he's been in there for five years. He has went from the bottom to the top, like a, for a 20 year old to have, to be that mature and, you know, to, to take on this role. And he has a, a wife and a child already. Right. Wow. And <laughs> he just, he just has the whole, you know, demeanor and that whole, you know, package, I guess, to, to be the next Kakuli franchisee. Um, well, and you credit this to though, you like, this is so unique. How many businesses can take credit for yeah. building entrepreneurs? I think that, yeah, that's what we're doing. Who takes credit for it? I don't know. I would, I would say me, but you know, <laughs> I hate saying that because I'm not, that's not who I am. Um, but yes, um, my husband and I both work really hard at, at, you know, building people up and, you know, we always say to our staff work smarter, not harder. If there is an easier way, let us know. Cause there's things that we can change in the systems so that we don't have to work hard. We just have to work smarter. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So building up these young people to, they also have this, they have this work ethic. And when I hire people, I go, Oh, so who are your parents? What do your parents do? 
<laughs> and always, you know, my dad's a welder, my mom does this, and my dad is this, and um, you know, like you could see where they're coming from, right? They have a very strong work ethical work ethic background, like their parents work hard, you know. And when the kids see their parents working hard, you know, they work hard and they don't give up and they just keep going and going. And, you know, um, and I look at my kids, you know, they, they, they are both educated beyond, you know, they've got masters and uh, journeyman carpenter, you know, and, and they're just, I guess they look at, I look at my parents and they worked hard to survive. So they had to fish, hunt, gather, um, and so I look at that and they never gave up. And then when I, you know, teaching my kids, you know, that schooling is important. And then I'm finally doing it 30 years later. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd say they inspired me as well to, for me to get an education. But, you know, in all those years, I've always worked and I know how hard it is, right, to to make ends meet and to, I've, I've been there. I, I've, you know, I've been on social assistance when I was young and pregnant and, you know, that kind of thing um, back, you know, in the eighties. But I always knew that I was going to go somewhere. I didn't know what it was. I would be flipping through a newspaper going, Oh, what am I going to do for a job? You know, um, I love to cook and I tried, you know, we did catering back in the day and, so maybe that was a bit of a start to the whole having a, a restaurant. I had like three or four different business plans to have a restaurant and um, basket making business, a chocolate making business, a fondue business, you know, like I've had business plans over the years and finally to have something like this to come about and, and be a part of uh, this whole uh, I guess economy we're creating. I've created, you know, hundreds of jobs over the last 15, 16 years. Yeah. And to still be a part of that, you know, is yeah, pretty it's pretty awesome. And hopefully it just keeps on going. <laughs> yeah, that's my suspicion is that we have these communities that really understand how to be resilient, how to overcome adversity, how to look at long, hard days as an opportunity to grow and not as unfair. Um, there's certain people that look at a long day and go, that's not for me. I want to know that I'm starting at 8.30 and I'm done at 4.30 and I want an hour break. And there's other people who are willing to persevere when times get tough because they can see a long-term benefit. And I think that that's the untapped potential of Indigenous communities is uh, mm -hmm. there's a work ethic there that I think we're going to see over the next 20 years. Uh, and I think that your business is a testament to that. I think you're curating those individuals and giving them a space and giving them the opportunities. Uh, and it's coming through in the opportunities you're creating for them. And I think uh, just kudos to you for being able to bring that about in people because we don't see it very often. I don't hear other franchise businesses being able to do something like that. It's we're at the top and the employees are the employees. Your ability to for people to want to be like Elijah. Everybody there now knows who he is and knows that that's, that's something that could be their future. And that inspires people to think bigger. And I think that that's 
something when we talk about brands, we talk about the marketing and how we're going to sell a product, but we don't talk about how to inspire the staff. And um, Costco isn't perfect, but they treat their staff properly. They inspire them to say, we're going to treat you like people. We're going to give you reasonable hours. We're going to treat you like a person. And I think when you do that, we don't know what people's potentials are until we open some of those doors. And I think that that's what you're doing. And so I'm so excited to see what the future holds. Can you tell us um, what are some things we can expect in the future? Well, our, I mean, you know, since we've been working more on the franchise now, um, we deal with um, so many, like, I don't know, five or 10 requests every day. And it's following up. You know, and so we're hoping to have another franchise open this year. Um, we also now are looking into um, other areas um, with our franchise where it's more like the one we have at the Okanagan College, where it's an, um, an amazing coffee bar with our baked goods, all of our, our fresh baked goods in these kind of um, style uh, kiosks, I guess, within universities or colleges. So our goal is, you know, that's the way we're going and we have the systems in place. We're working on it to always be, um, you know, to be stronger and to be amazing, I guess, at everything we do, yeah. <laughs> just trying to be amazing and work and work hard and, 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 and adapt to the business model. Yes. And Yes. And we have so many areas to go. It's just hard to say like what's, what's going to happen and, and when, um, yeah. You mentioned your education. I'm interested to understand entrepreneurs often feel disconnected from the education sector. Many people, they start from the ground up, they work hard and it's by pure force, by pure will that they're able to get to where they go. Many of them end up with a feeling that they didn't get the the MBA, they didn't get the education, and so they kind of see those individuals as, as different from themselves and maybe have a part of themselves that don't feel like they fit in because they don't have the, the credentials. You now are able to go get these credentials, and it's so interesting for you to have the practical experience and then go in to a more theoretical institution and talk about the ideas and talk about the lingo. Can you talk a little bit about choosing to go back to school, choosing to attend a university and, and get the skills from both worlds? Yeah, I am so lucky. <laughs> um, you know, having been in business for the last 15 years and, you know, and, and 10 years ago, I'd be like, Oh yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I ever need school. I'm, you know, cruising along in my, in my business. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm learning everything. Um, not that I knew everything because we were always learning. And when I, I, this came across my desk to, to go to school and this was during the pandemic. And I thought, wow, should I do this? Like, you know, like, so I, you know, mentioned it to my, my kids and my husband. And I thought, you know, should I do this? Should I go back to school? Like this is an MBA. Like this is like, you know, I've only, I've only been to grade 12. <laughs> right. And I've been out of school for so long. I mean, I've done a lot of different things over my life in, in, for school and, and whatever certificates and all that kind of thing. Um, and business classes and courses, but to have something like this, I thought, well, I'll try it. 
if I can't fill out the application, then I probably don't deserve to go. <laughs> so I filled out this huge application. It was a lot of work. It took a few weeks to do it. And I submitted it, you know, and uh, I got an interview with um, with the SFU and I, yeah, got accepted into this program and yeah, I was so excited, I guess. And, and what did it mean to you to get accepted um, or to go through that process? I was like, oh my God, they thought that I was smart enough to be here. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And I remember the very first day I, I bawled my eyes out because I was so scared. It's like, oh my God, I can't do this. This is going to be so hard. What am I doing? Is this right? Like, I don't know if I'm going to be as smart as everyone else because I just felt, you know, that I've been out of school for way too long. But, um, you know, here I am in my 50s. (laughs) Went back to school. I was inspired by um, my uncle, Art Sam. He's in New Wyatch and he went back to school, I believe, in his 50s or 60s or something. And he got a, um, his, uh, he got a bachelor of, I think it was business or something in merit. And, you know, and they've all done it. And I thought, okay, I can do it. So yeah, here I am. I'm almost finished my second year and I feel good. I'm glad that I've done it. And, you know, I'm just excited that I guess these credentials that are going to go behind my name, I'm like, whoa, I'm in business and now I'm going to have an MBA. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say I'm pretty proud of myself for actually sticking it out because there are times and I know there is times when you're doing a program like that, where you just feel like there's, there is no flipping way that you're going to get through this part of it. Or, you know, like there was a lot of ups and downs and stuff because you're scared, but yeah, just have the courage to do it and, and just know that you're, that you just kind of have to relax yourself and just, you know, say, I can do this. I'm going to push through and I'm going to get her done. And so, yeah, here I am almost done. <laughs> I just can't believe that after everything you overcame, that school would ever be like to linger on that idea that you've started the business, that all those people are in school to understand how to do what you've already done. And to think that that's the process that intimidates you. I totally understand why it's just, it's interesting to think that that could be the intimidating part. Yes, I, I felt that, you know, I and I also forgot to mention this, that when I was doing, um, when this whole schooling thing came across my desk, right before that, I had received my mom and my grandmother's residential school records from their, from St. George's residential school. And so I was looking through my grandmother's first because, you know, she was, she went there and I was like, wow, she only made it to grade like seven or eight or something. And then I looked at my mother's and she went to grade six, I think, but she kept running away. And when you're looking at your parents and grandparents, residential school records, and you're like, Oh my God, like, you know, they kept every time she should have been maybe a higher upgrade, they'd put her back a grade. And I don't know if that was because she kept running away from it is what I understand. So they just kept, uh, yeah, you know, pushing her back. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, that was another part of another reason why I'm going to, I'm going to get my MBA because 
my mom and grandmother didn't get that. And I, I can never blame my mother or my um, my dad, my mom or my, or my dad for, you know, the way things were when, when we were growing up because they had so much trauma. My mother had a lot of trauma. My grandmother had trauma. She didn't think she was going to be a mother again because her daughter got shipped off to residential school. So then by the time my mom was 14, my grandmother moved away to America because she didn't think she was ever going to see her daughter again. So my mom ran away from residential school, met my dad, and then had me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think of those those um, scenarios that what they could have went through, what could have happened. And, you know, there was just no... Um, there was no inspiration or motivation for them. Right. And so I guess I, that would have motivated me to like, I'm going to do this for them. Right. I'm going to get a degree and hopefully something will um, good will come of it so that, you know, their names live on and, you know, they fought for us. And so now we have to fight for them, whether it be through our, our business, through schooling, um, just fighting for, you know, fighting for their, for their rights. And I think that's a whole nother story, right? <laughs> yeah. But what you said is really beautiful because you think about the sacrifices that people have to make, the effort that they have to put in for their children, all for a better life. So many different families from so many different walks of life have traveled around the world to try and give their children a better life, endured, um, unconscionable things to be able to survive for their children. And it's the onus is on the children then to build upon that legacy and to build something better and to improve the circumstances for others, which is exactly what you're doing. So I'm wondering if you can help enlighten people. How do we move in the right direction? Um, you've obviously faced tough times. You've bet on yourself in your business, now in school. How do people live up to their, their best potential? How do they, they make the most of, of these years that they have in their life? Um, I think once you get to a certain point in your life, maybe um, I always think, what am I, what am I going to do next? What, what am I going to do for myself, for my well-being? Um, um, how can I, I always think, how can I be a better person? and you know, I, I think what motivates or inspires me is making sure that my kids, my grandkids are going to have um, a place to a place to um, feel safe, like in this country, um, in their communities. You know, we want people to feel safe. We want them, you know, to be able to continue to learn their culture, um, teach the culture, you know, show people that we are still here as Indigenous people on this land. This is, you know, you're in my ancestors' territory. You know, they fought hard for to where we are today. They fought for us to get to this point. Um, and I'm fighting this hard so my grandkids could get above where I'm at today and just you know, to keep going and, and, you know, our, our indigenous people, they're taking away a lot of, you know, their rights as, as being, um, a status 
First Nation status Indian in this in this country. And, you know, my grandkids have, you know, partial, they're not status because, you know, there's the whole bloodline thing, right? That's going down the line. And those those are getting taken away from them. So we're just kind of becoming, you know, what's the word? Becoming extinct to, to that matter, right? We need to, we need to ensure that our kids and grandkids that they have their rights and that, you know, they need to, they need to know that, you know, I'm fighting for their rights today. They're going to need, they, they're going to need that when they are, when they're like my age. Right. And I'm not going to be here. So hopefully they're able to still fight for their rights and the land. And hopefully all that is still there for them. Let's hope something good comes in the next, you know, uh, five, 10, 15 years for our young people. And, you know, 5% of our population is um, Indigenous and half of them are youth. They're the ones that are going to be making that, you know, place for, for, for themselves and for their future and for each generation. Beautiful. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's just can, go on and on. <laughs> can you tell people the locations one more time? If they're coming through, where can they find a Kakuli Cafe? Oh, you can come off the Coquihalla Connectors, uh, West Bank, BC. And we have one in Merritt, BC. And we have one in Kamloops, British Columbia. And then we also have one downtown, Col- well, not downtown Kelowna, but at the college in Kelowna. So, yeah. I'm going to be honest. Uh, you'll probably be seeing an application from us uh, in the coming year. Um, my community, Chihuahua First Nation, we'd like to see one in Hope. Um, we're doing a feasibility study right now with some of our land. Um, I've put it on the radar that I'm very interested in having a Kukuli Cafe for the Fraser Valley because we don't have anywhere to get Bannock right now easily. And I think that that's such a shame when you think of all the First Nation communities, all the people who want to be a part of reconciliation, where are we sending them? We we don't have opportunities for them to try our cuisine, learn about the culture. Um, I think what you're doing is so important because it connects people to this idea. It allows them just a a sliver of understanding of, of what our communities are about and our culture. And I think we're so lucky that you've invested years and years of years of energy, time, um, cleaning when nobody else is around, unacknowledged moments, a lot of sacrifices to make sure the staff is taken care of. I think all of that deserves so much credit. I'm so grateful that I was able to sit down with you today uh, and we were able to talk about the incredible work you've done that Elijah is now doing and the example you're setting uh, for so many entrepreneurs. Thank you. Hook's Jam, thank you. I can't wait to come to Hope. I love Hope. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Really honored that you had me here today. And, you know, I don't know a lot of these things unless someone asks me and I start talking about them. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably wouldn't really say too much. <laughs> right. So. Well, it's it's such a pleasure to get your insights on things because I think that's, you have so much knowledge, so many times where things were tough, but you found a way through. And I think that when we're able to learn about that, that gives people the tools so they maybe don't have to make the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you, Aaron. Awesome.